Hey, everybody, and welcome to the HRO Growth Show, where we believe that PEOs and HROs are the best kept secret of small business success, that there's plenty of opportunity for all of them and every reason to grow. I'm your host, Ryan McInerney, and with me, as always, is Brandon Laws. How are you today, Brandon? Hey, Ryan, I'm awesome. It's just about 2019. So as you know, a lot of planning is taking place right now. So it's it's a good day and I'm looking forward to the next few weeks. I bet you are. And maybe even a little bit of time off coming up. I do. I'm taking off a couple of weeks. It'll be nice to just decompress and spend time with the family and get back in the office and ready to, to kick butt in 2019. So looking forward to it. That's great. Now, last time I talked to you, it was probably a little bit warmer. What's the uh, temperature looking like for today in Oregon? <laughs> we, we've been in the 30s all week, so it hasn't been snowing or anything like that, but it's been, been icy. It's not bad. Yeah. I won't tell you about how things are here. Things are going to be pretty much the same for the rest of the uh, rest of the year coming through. I don't know, it's about 75 degrees outside right now, sunny, blue skies, and I had to take my sweater off this morning. So that just kind of tells you about how things are around here in, in Naples, Florida. A little frustrated with you right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, it's good to be back. And today is going to be a great episode. We're trying to tackle something that is a big subject. It's something that affects everybody who's listening. And it comes down to your people. You know, when you think about how you're going to grow, you've got all sorts of things. You've got your product, you've got your people, you have your process, and you have your pricing. And I'm sure there's some other P's out there that everybody has studied. But today, we're going to really focus on the people layer. We want to make sure that we kind of unpack today just some critical thoughts on how do you build the most successful sales and marketing team that helps you grow your business. And Brent and I, we've got some thoughts to share with you today on that. And we want to make sure that as you're, as you're thinking about the new year and as you're thinking about kind of growing and scaling your, your HR company, obviously you're skilled at people. And so you're probably going to do a really good job at the cultural layer and you'll probably have a really attractive benefits package, which is so important when you're trying to attract people in that section of the business. But going beyond that, how do you empower them to be really wildly successful? How can in 2019, this team that you work with fulfill the strategic vision of senior leadership? So Brandon, I want to give you a chance to kind of dive in here because I know that team building is something that's you know really close to your heart is something that you focus on quite a bit there. And I'm thinking that you probably have some thoughts you want to share, and maybe even some lessons that you've learned, some things you've tried in the last 10 years that you've been in the seat you're in now. Yeah, over the last 10 years, I've seen a lot of change. And one thing I wanted to just start with is that alignment between the sales and marketing teams is mm. vitally important to the success and making sure you hit your goals. So that that's point number one I wanted to make. And as technology's really changed in the selling and you know, buying process has really changed. I think we need as sales and marketing teams, we have to adapt based on what the buyer wants. And because of all these tools now where, you know, people are doing live chat, which we talked about last episode, and buyers can educate themselves on the website and through social media channels and all these other these other ways, I think we're having to lean more on on marketing and the marketing tools than outside salespeople as HROs have historically probably used. So what I'd say is that you need to adapt over time as we have, because we started out with basically one outside salesperson. And then that was probably 10 years ago. And then fast forward to today, we have three outside salesperson, sales marketing coordinator, and then two marketing people. And what we're really trying to bridge the gap to is on the inside sales portion that, that 
historically known as SDR or a sales mm-hmm. development representative. So I think that's kind of how I've structured the team. And but it's evolving. We're constantly talking about how we can tweak our teams to be way more effective. So I don't know what you've experienced, but that's sort of what we're looking at right now. Right. I hear you. You know, when when you talk about that spectrum that you've gone through over the last 10 years, you're probably really speaking to everybody listening because you've got a spectrum there of some folks are today where you started and other folks are just a bit past where you are presently, but maybe they haven't you know built out the team. It sounds like you've really got a nice even balance between the sales side and the marketing side, just based on the the numbers that you were you were sharing. What led initially? So let's talk to the the folks that maybe have a smaller HR organization. Maybe they only have one salesperson like you did. What was the next hire that was made? Was it a marketing person or did you continue to build out the sales team before marketing was prioritized? We really built out the sales team first. So we went from, I think... When I first came in, we had either one or two salespeople. We added a third salesperson. I started really... I was a support to that team. So doing administrative sales functions while taking on some marketing as well. And I I lever, always have leveraged outside marketing vendors. And that's the other thing I'd want to talk about is... I think to build out that effective marketing team, you need to use a, an, a combination of internal marketing resources as well as external. And that's really how we've been able to scale our marketing efforts. Whereas with the sales side, it's a little different. You do need people who understand intimately the services that you're selling and can have a good enough personality to represent your brand and talk to the to the buyer. And I, I, those those pieces, those those people are really hard to find. So we've really built out that side first. We have a lot of continuity with our team, and that's I know in the HRO space, there's a lot of churn and burn, and we just don't have that. We've actually had the same people for probably I want to say six years. So our our team has wow. been the same for the most part. Yeah, that's that's interesting because especially you know I've got a especially with LinkedIn, you know I've got a lot of connections to people who are in the sales and marketing space. And probably the most frequent alert I get on LinkedIn is that so-and-so has a new job. (laughs) So (laughs) congratulate somebody, especially in the fourth quarter, there's a lot of fluidity in the team. So you've been able to hang on to people for a longer tenure. What do you think is the leading cause of that? Why is it that people are so sticky within your group? We have a good culture. I think based on the model that we've created, we Marketing really in, in the ref, the referrals that we get from our existing network, we generate leads for them. So they don't. Have, it's not a traditional outside sales role where you're actually prospecting all the time. And I know that's the historical outside sales where you're just hunting all the time. But we we've actually created it to where we just rotate leads to them. And so I think it's been a really good model for us because we've leaned heavily on marketing. They get to do what they do best, which is go out and talk to people who are already interested and bought into our way of looking at the business world and HR and all that. So I think it's been a good job. And we are a great team. We have a lot of alignment. And I think that's why there's continuity between the team. Yeah. I think that point you bring up about there's more to it when when you're furnishing your sales team with leads. It goes beyond just the mechanics of, hey, we've helped you to with a prospect list. It shows that the company is behind the salespeople. And when you talk about culture and you talk about creating a, a dynamic sales team, my belief is that one of the things that's important 
is that the organization doesn't just kind of leave its salespeople out uh, to dry, you know, feed, uh, you know, feed them to the wolves, but, you know, <laughs> send them out to the wolves and see if they survive. It's not really a model that works on the middle performers. On top performers, the challenger, you know, sales type person or the lone wolf type person, they don't want to be bothered by the company. They want to be as le left alone as possible. But your middle of the pack, the people who represent most people on your team, they want to feel empowered. They want to know the organization's going to bat to help them with their commission check, going to bat to make it easier for them to, to get in a door, to, to get a first-time appointment, to get on site. And when you're generating leads, it's evidence that you've started to acquire mindshare. You've built trust. As Jeb Blunt would say, that the organization is helping to build familiarity between at least the brand and the individual salesperson. But then you're also saying like, when we can get a lead and give it to you, we're going to do that. We're going to do that with as, as uh, you know, great frequency as we possibly can. I really think that's, that's part of the mix. Some of the salespeople that, that I hear about transitioning a lot, they feel like they, uh, it's sink or swim for them. And so if they believe they can only reach a certain level of performance on their own, then they're constantly on the hunt for the most attractive compensation package. So if they feel like they can only close X number of deals a year, that's their consistent track record when having to do it completely from end to end on their own. Generate the demand all the way through to creating the proposal, getting it through underwriting and closing the deal. They're just looking for the best compensation plan at that point and you will lose them. Yeah, and I don't I don't love that model anymore in today's world because to your point, like that lone wolf, they're going to they're going to seek the most money. So they're more likely to leave and it is sink or swim versus it's not replicable either. So if you, if you have a team, they're great consultants, you feed them with leads and then you build a support network around them where they could team sell if they need to, or they have access to, in our case, you know, HR people or, or payroll professionals that can go out and help in the selling process, it's more likely that you're going to have a brand consistency in the sales process. And that's what we preach is, you know, our brand is so important to us. And if we don't have consistency throughout, you know, the time, the, the very initial touch to the time where they've been with us for five years, there's a problem there. And I think with those lone wolves, you're likely to get inconsistencies because you have to go find a lot of those really good the salespeople. Whereas if you just have a bunch of salespeople like we have that just are so wrapped up in the brand, they have great depth of resources behind them. To me, it's a model that scales a little bit better. I could definitely see why. And it also really matches just, you know, considering who's listening right now, it really matches the concept of being a full stack HR company. I mean, yeah. what you're preaching to your client is that if you take care of your people, they'll take care of your business. If you know, we were just selling some kind of product. It was a one-time transaction. We weren't selling a relationship, a relational type of service. Then maybe you could get away with that a little bit more, but it really doesn't compute. You want to make sure that the thing that you're offering somebody else is something that you have the discipline of doing yourself internally. And so what I hear here is that there's this kind of message we're both sharing, which is that you have to support your people. And that means you've got to triangulate the need. You've got to make sure that you've got a well-rounded team that's kind of working together in tandem and that everybody recognizes that there's a culture of we, not a culture of me at my organization, because really we would be, we'd be so antithetical as an HR company to be marketing ourselves as these, you know, you better get out there and get it done or, you know, you're gone. I'm not saying if you don't perform that you should be allowed to stay on without, you know, a certain kind of accountability. I'm simply just saying that have expectations of somebody and then 
help them to reach those expectations. And we talked a lot about the sales side, but I want to shift over to the marketing side if you'll if you let me. Sure. I think because things have changed so often, what I've found is that you do need to have internal marketing resources. There's just way too much to do. You could fully outsource it. I think you and I, before we started recording, we were really talking about how some firms just all together outsource marketing and use outside vendors for that. But it's it's really hard to develop ownership over your brand because a third-party vendor is not is partner-minded as they may be, I don't know if they're going to own and love the brand the way that you do. So I've always loved the the model that we've created, which is we have an internal marketing leader, which is which is me. And I have a marketing specialist, essentially. And then I have budget to use outside vendors. So I use a designer, a copywriter, a videographer, a coder if I need to. And I have access to all those things through cash budget. And that model for me has worked great. Sometimes we've leveraged an agency as well. Not as much because it's... And you could tell us, Ryan, it can be expensive, right? But some combination of all of those is really how you build up the, the marketing bench, so to speak. What do you think about that? Yeah, I've obviously got strong thoughts on it. And you're right. When I first got into being an entrepreneur, I was doing internal marketing or working in a family business. And Eventually, I went out on my own and I started an agency. You know, within three years, we were you know doing seven figures and mm-hmm. winning awards and you know all of that. And yeah, we had a, a, a team of twelve people. And one day, I just had this conclusion: was that while we were always able to exceed the performance of the overwhelmed internal team that didn't know what they were doing, we would always hit a ceiling where our ability to kind of be a, a proxy or an ambassador for our client brand would kind of reach a point where we couldn't go any further because we weren't the company. Yeah, And that's, you know, it's one of the reasons why we pivoted and went the direction of Blue Matter, where I think the language you're using as you describe how you've built out your team is it's kind of like a hybrid in-house agency. And the kind of the way you parse things out there, I think is a really, is really smart, right? It's wise. So you have to own the go-to-market strategy internally. Sales and marketing have to be aligned. They need to create a strategic plan that's at least six to 12 months out. You have to guard and protect the brand identity. You choose what efforts you're going to chase and you know what you're going to measure and how that's going to impact the overall growth and sustainability of your business. And then when there are those kind of highly specialized tasks that you need somebody who can implement your vision, you turn to them and since you know what you're doing, you're able to give them guidance and you're able to help them to be successful in giving you back what you couldn't do for yourself. Or if you were going to do it as a team, that resource is just too expensive. You wouldn't utilize them to their full capacity. And frankly, then this is interesting. You can be at a major advantage when you allow a person like you've done working with a freelancer who works within maybe a similar industry, but kind of works cross industry. Because they then get refined and they become this kind of, you know, multifaceted, you know, specialist where they've got skills and experience that transcend multiple industries and they have perspective on what's trending in different places where when you bring in an internal resource over time, eventually your thought process is only about that brand. It's the only thing you're looking at, paying attention to, and you end up losing perspective on some of the things that are going on around you. And it's why anybody can end up going from a leader to a middle of the pack to a laggard because they focused so much on their own brand and they did not have the perspective of seeing what was going on out in the world. So really creating that hybrid blend of owning the brand internally and then 
giving the right services, you know, right commoditized type of services out to others is, is really smart. I 100% agree with everything you just said there. And I think as folks are listening to this, the, the, I think the one thing that you and I would both agree with and say and provide advice is to say marketing cannot stay the same. You have to, if you're going to have in-house only, you have to constantly iterate. You have to be learning all the time. It's different than the sales side. I think the sales side, you just have to be really good at talking with people and understand the value proposition clearly and deal with different personalities. On the marketing side, the way in which you reach your your customers, your prospects, your audience is changing all the time. And messaging is always changing. And new technology and implementing the, an entire tech stack that's going to make your marketing team effective. Those are complicated. And if you're not leveraging outside partners, you're doing this completely internally, you have to get better every day. That's what I would say. That's a good piece of advice for everybody. And I think that as you talked about going from one or two people in-house and then you kind of continue to scale that team, there's probably some structure we could talk about that would enable people to kind of see the path, right? And there's a lot of paths. You have to chart the one that's uh, most appropriate for you. But as you described there, you know, moving from year one to year 10, I'm thinking that we should probably talk a little bit more about how these two teams would work together. I put together a couple of thoughts thinking about this in advance. And as we talked just a moment ago about building a stack, you want to remove the silos and build the stack. That's kind of like my mantra. Remove the silos first. The idea that sales and marketing are two separate departments because their functions are different is is stupid. Sales and marketing are both chasing the same basic goal. The goal is how do we bring more customers who are a right fit for us that are not currently doing business with us today? How do we get them into the fold and into our lines of business? Everybody's working towards the same goal. So for two teams who are working towards the exact same goal at the, at the end of the day, they may be chasing different strategic metrics to get to that end goal, but they have to be working together in sync. You mentioned that you and the team, you, you all work together collectively. Well, the only way you can do that is if you share offices, share time, share meals. Spencer Rule, formerly of Employers Resource, asked me once on a podcast, he said, if you had to give marketers one piece of advice, what would it be? And I said, oh, that's easy. Spend 60 to 80% of your time hanging out with salespeople. Stop drinking all the Kool-Aid from all the same waters as all the marketers. And if I had to talk to salespeople, I'd say, hey, spend way more of your time with marketers. Because when you silo, you end up not being able to realize that the ability to communicate between both silos is so tough that you have to spend time, you have to chase the same goal. The silos is killing the speed that a customer prospect now requires. If you are not deliberate about how you work together in tandem, you'll fail. And the other is, Once you've removed the silo or in the effort of the ongoing process of, you know, transforming from two silos into one team revenue, you then want to build your growth stack. Responsibilities are still unique. They're still different between sales and marketing. And you build a stack of people. I think you mentioned that you guys have a marketing specialist. And what what was the structure again on the marketing side? And what's the structure on the sales side? 
one thing I wanted to say just about the alignment, we actually have a vice president of sales and marketing and that I report as director of marketing, I report to her and the sales team reports to her. So that is, if I could recommend a structure like that, I love that structure because then we're not siloed into sale. Here's sales over on this side and marketing's on this side. We all report to the same leader, which is amazing. Then we have three outside salespeople, a sales and marketing coordinator. It's probably 75% marketing and then the rest of it's administrative sales ops. And then me as director of marketing. And then we use outside resources for some other marketing as well. But it's one of the other things I would say that would probably build alignment is if marketers could step into the shoes of salespeople. You you talk about hanging out, having lunch together. How about marketers become salespeople for a couple of days or for a temporary amount of time? That was the best decision I ever made was to do a little bit of sales for about six months. And I really got to understand what the buying process was, what the pain points were. It made me a better marketer as a result of it. I think marketers should be on sales calls. Yeah. Marketers should be at first time appointments. Marketers should be there sweating it out through underwriting. Marketing needs to understand that it owns more of the buying process than the salesperson does. And when we only do the parts like brand awareness or, you know, trying to build familiarity, then we don't add a lot of value. But when when you get that sensitivity, when you can start to not only empathize, but strategize around what's happening in the the customer's buying experience the, and the salesperson's mirrored selling process, you end up getting a wealth of information and knowledge. So not only you're more sensitive, but your intuition, your gut on what should be done and when with the fact that everybody has limited time, money, and energy, you've got to allocate resources appropriately. And when, when you're not as a marketer, well-informed by what the sales process looks like and what objections from customers look like and, and the back and forth and negotiation, then you're, you're kind of clueless and you just kind of stay in your lane of, all right, I'll just get more, more interest, more demand, but uh, just see, I, I have no idea what happens after this. I hope it works out. <laughs> <laughs> That's not, that doesn't fly no, for very it long. It doesn't. Yeah. This teams need to work together. That's the bottom line. You're absolutely right. Yeah, the the two teams have to work together. And I think that kind of, you know, one of the ideas that has been taking off is account-based marketing. I had an opportunity recently to, on the Blue Matter side, to interview Sangram Vajre and Doug Davidoff. And we we got into what's called the great ABM debate or account-based marketing. And this could just be a good opportunity to kind of explain what that is. Account-based marketing is when both marketing and sales are targeting a short list of strategic accounts. So once you know your ideal customer profile and you've built out your buyer personas, depending on what line of business you're in, you might say there are 50 strategic accounts that we want to go after. And rather than marketing kind of doing a broad based, let's just try to get demand from wherever, which should be happening. I mean, there may be passive or active buyers who are not part of that that list of 50 that you need to make sure they find you if they go looking for your service. But when it comes to the outbound approach, when it comes to you know, leveraging our energies together to go and get new accounts. Account-based marketing is a vehicle that enables the sales and the marketing team to collaborate and say, these are the accounts we want to go after. Let's collectively study them together. Let's identify what kind of content they would need. Let's figure out how we can use marketing to help build consensus in the buying group. CEB's research, the challenger customer is a great resource on that. And how do we how do we effectively work together? So sometimes the silo can be divided 
way beyond the cultural level, way beyond even just joining a salesperson on their sales call so you can be strategic and empathetic, but actually collectively working together in tandem to go after key accounts together is probably the way to get rid of the silos the fastest. Even if you don't hang out with ABM all the time, it can be one of the primary ways that you bring on strategic accounts and leverage the full power of your unified team. Yeah, I love this point. I think what what's going to be the downfall of a lot of HROs implementing something like this is communication and using tools effectively like your CRM or marketing automation and just your actual people talking with one another on the sales and marketing front. I, I think if there's a communication breakdown, this is probably where it'd fail or fizzle out. Yeah, I think that's a definite point there. If they don't communicate, but but how do they communicate? Like what what are some of the things that they can do to enable them to have better communication. So you you bring up the CRM. I think the CRM plays, the, you know, especially if you're having like a centralized tool, yeah. you have at least one central point of truth. You need to have some kind of a, a cadence of, of meeting and accountability. This probably is something that looks like weekly at, at most, maybe bi-weekly. If it's a really intense or slow season, you may choose to, to go one way or the other. But being able for everybody to see what accounts are being worked and what's happening there, that can help. What What are some other things they could do? Yeah, I mean, it, we use tools a lot. I think the weekly meetings and and really just talking with one another about the key accounts and sharing notes. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I would think that would also be effective. But otherwise, we're just using technology tools. Hmm. So tech is really, as part of your point, is really becoming far more prevalent. Well, I think as people are fra- if people are fragmented, they're on the road and they're not always in the office. That's the only other 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 way sure. you can share communication. Yes, that's right. Other methods could be Slack, yeah, and other types of inner office communication tools. I know Microsoft has a tool, Slack has a tool, Facebook has a tool now, and being able to keep the entire team in one room, one chat, can also enable that speed of communication, that sense of proximity. When a team is either spread across multiple buildings or completely different states, they're regionally located. That's something you know. On Blue Matter side, our sales, marketing, and execution are literally in different states. Our senior leadership are in different states. In fact, some of our execution are in different countries. So utilizing platforms like Zoom so we can see each other face-to-face and using Slack for us to have interoperable communication and then keeping everything centralized in the CRM, having a service level agreement that describes how marketing will generate leads and how sales will continue to nurture them all in one central place. So so I I think it's a good lead-in. For a lot of organizations, they don't have an SLA, a service level agreement. And this kind of lays out and it gives the the process, the agreement between both teams as to how they're going to work together, how they're going to work a deal, what's going to be measured so that sales and marketing also don't have any frustration between the two teams so that they both know this is what it means to be successful in my role. This is how we work together and this is how we help one another. I think to go even beyond this, Brandon, is the structure that you described and I, I think one that, you know, that is real for a lot of people listening is they don't have an internal team. They've got maybe one or two people. And so as you think about, as you think about stacking out, I think, Brandon, you've got a good example of how you did it. You got to play it by ear. But if I had my ideal dream team, if I could, if I could only have, you know, a handful of people on a team, maybe five or six at, you know, kind of the, the peak end, I would have a person who is the chief revenue officer. They are overseeing both sides of the house for sales and marketing. And that person helps make sure that they're protecting both the brand and the metrics. They're keeping an eye on the who we are and the how well are we growing? Are we fulfilling the CEO's strategic vision for growth? 
And then below that on the sales, on the sales pillar, we'll call it at the very base, I've got somebody who is aggregating data. Their job is to see what they can populate the CRM with, you know, in terms of uh, up-to-date information, up-to-date contact information, insights, curating insights on what's going on inside the company and getting that into the CRM so that when somebody goes to act on that, uh, that that information's there so they have a tailored outbound first-hand touch. Then I'd have an SDR who's basically gleaning from that data, a uh, sales development rep or business development rep. This is typically an internal person and they're doing prospecting. They're basically trying to get qualified opportunities scheduled for a first-time appointment. And then above that person is an account manager. And the account manager is who the SDR hands off to. The account manager's job is to make sure that they do the discovery all the way through to the proposal being submitted to closed one. And then it goes off to service. And then really there's like a mirrored role to that. They give like a marketing specialist, which is somebody who's doing marketing research, somebody who is collaborating with the, the data manager. It could even be the same role, depending on how you want to slice it. So at the very bot at the very top, you could have a person who oversees sales and marketing. And at the very bottom, you could have a, a doer, you know, somebody who just kind of carries the ball of getting good data, good information, good resources, good research. And then above that person is really like a marketing manager. There's somebody who is kind of, uh, they're the, the, the traffic controller. They're making sure that all the deliverables are getting done on time, that everything's being executed. They're, they're really just kind of making sure that the, the tasks are being done. They're a hybrid, T-shaped. Maybe they specialize in one or two things, but they're able to really put good strategic visions into action. And then above them is some kind of director of, of marketing. And director of marketing, I think, in your company is you. And this is a person who is syncing up between account managers. They're the direct correlation to that role. So account management, they're the ones that are really having to deal with the deep level of the prospect. And, and the marketing director is doing the same thing. What can we learn from this transaction, this contract, this coming and going that needs to be turned into a campaign, that needs to be turned into marketing deliverables? They're the ones who are having those strategic conversations with account managers. And both of them lead up into, as I said, the, the head of revenue. That's an ideal dream team of internal. And then in terms of the external, well, marketing is the only one that would probably have an outsourced, you know, a non-team member crew. And there's different ways to get that done. At Blue Matter, we have found that the best way to get that done is through a single ecosystem where you can get both the agency style services of that you know, the retainer-based work, the website design and development, the marketing automation, the paid media advertising, and then also the, the more kind of project-based work, like a new logo designed or, you know, content written for four blogs or somebody to temporarily edit on some kind of a white paper e-guide you're putting out. Those kind of tactical, when I need them, turn them on, turn them off types of roles. And so that, that's kind of how we built our system. But, but that's the same system that we follow inside of Blue Matter as well and that we've seen Within HROs, those that have a similar structure to this, like you, end up having the kind of success that other people want to read about, listen to, listen to, check in on, spy on. It's about the team. And that's kind of what the heart and soul is of the message that we're, we're bringing here today. I could have said all that better than my, than you did, honestly. Like that that is an ideal dream team. I think the the use of internal and external resources is perfect. The one thing I wanted to just bring up that I've often wanted is more creative work. And sometimes you can't get that in a specialist or a manager on the marketing side. There's really two levels of creatives that I need. I need people who can keep redefining our deliverables for clients and the, the user experience on that side as well as really on the outbound marketing side as well. And sometimes like 
external resources, that's it's nice, but the the turnaround times are just not fast enough. So if if you couldn't have like a marketing manager and a director, maybe I would say let's bring in a creative instead of a marketing manager and kind of replace that role with somebody internal. But you know, use of external resources from a creative standpoint is also good because as we were talking about earlier, just the constant change of the brand and having external resources, somebody with who's touched different industries is really important. So I don't know, I, I go back and forth on that. But that's the only tweak I might make to your dream team there. I, I agree. And I think if you do decide to get a creative, if that's something that somebody's considering, what I would push heavy for is somebody who is multifaceted and multidisciplinary. So I would not go out and buy a graphic artist and put them on staff. I would find somebody who's really good at Photoshop. Like it, I would really try to find somebody who's, who's good with the Adobe suite of creative cloud. Somebody who can get a nice graphic made in Adobe Spark or Photoshop or Illustrator, you know, something basic for a, a marketing piece or a sales collateral, but who also can get into Audacity and edit up a nice podcast and who can get it live and launch somewhere and who can take uh, Final Cut Pro or Adobe Premiere and cut together uh, a basic video. You could go out for some of the key motion graphics work and have that done by somebody else. But yeah, you want a multidiscipline area. So if you've got like a friend who's a graphic artist, who's kind of coming out of college and looking for a job, they really belong in like an agency. If you've got somebody who is like a multi, you know, they, they, hold, a, they, they hold a camera, they know how to point and shoot, they know how to record. They also know how to put it into post-production and do a, a halfway decent job of editing that out. That's the kind of person that I would bring on. Video is so critical for the future. If you just go with somebody who's just static graphics and doesn't understand animation, doesn't understand video, you're literally buying an old resource. You, even if they're 24, you need, to, you need to have somebody who's already got those skill sets. So I, I'll, I'll take that tweak and I'll, I'll modify. I'll say one of those roles, if you had to plug, uh, unplug one and put one in, that would definitely be a key role to have on, on site. So I think as we, as we kind of give some strategic resources here, I think there are three that come to mind. The first one that could really help an organization think through, how am I going to build my own dream team? Blue Matter can help, but I really think that sales gravy on the sales side is a, is a key contact for you to have. They are a vendor partner, and so they're, they're within that ecosystem. We recently had Brad Adams, who's a senior master trainer from Sales Gravy, which is run by Jeb Blunt. He's the author of Fanatical Prospecting and a number of other leading books. I, I say he's like the Zig Ziglar of sales today. But, but Brad came out and did an outstanding job, spent a full day doing a workshop. And I know they've got online curriculum. They do private consulting. They've worked with a number of really well-known big name HR outsourcing companies. So they have both the breadth of the B2B as well as the HRO experience. I think another point of contact there would be, you mentioned it was software. I'm not a fanboy. I'm, I'm, I'm agnostic when it comes to picking tools, but, but there's one tool that has been a central point of truth for myself and most of our clients for like the last five years, and that's HubSpot. We've been using HubSpot since they were bad as a tool. It was awful to use all the way through till now where it's a delight to use. That's just a personal recommendation. We do a lot of work with PEOs and HubSpot and they, they've found that to be a nice compliment to some of the other industry players. Like I won't, I won't give shout outs to all of them, but they're, you know, this Prism and we have Thinkware and uh, we have WorkLogic EPS, but there are a number of good options out there that could be used in complement to that. 
And then the third is I would maybe recommend joining Pace. That's not meant to be a shameless plug. It's, it's just an honest uh, recommendation. Pace is all about doing what this show is all about, which is connecting people so that they can learn from one another through all sorts of different virtual, digital, and in-person uh, opportunities. If you're in a safe place where it's okay to share your ideas, then you'll share them, you'll learn from one another, and you'll grow. Pace's whole concept is friends before competitors. So, you know, sharing your ideas isn't going to result in Billy down the street now implementing your key idea because he promised he wouldn't do anything that would take work away from you. So there are those kind of relationships that could be had for the future. Do you have any that you would you would throw out there, Brandon, or, you know, would you say that that's a good list? I think it's a good list. Yeah, I think that's I probably wouldn't add anything more to that. But I, I would just say that the joining pace is probably an excellent first step there because this industry is made up of a lot of people that are willing to share knowledge. And and I think that's what we're really trying to do with this podcast, especially. And I know, you know, pace is a huge part of that. So I, I encourage people, you know, definitely subscribe to this podcast. But if you're not part of pace membership, get after it. That's a great recommendation. Now, we are going to wrap up today's episode, and we've got something exciting lined up for the next show. This is something that is really key to uh, both Brandon and I, and that is keeping the human in the human resources marketing. There has been a lot of change that have taken place because of technology and because a lot of people that get into the HR space come from other industries where taking care of people was a bit more transactional. And so when we do marketing as these organizations are formed, sometimes they can be divorced from some of the very culture that we are hoping our clients would embody. And so uh, we're going to be covering that in the next episode. And so I definitely recommend that you join. Now, as far as getting more of these episodes into your life, there's a way to do that. The first is I would recommend that you subscribe. If you're listening to this right now on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud, or you're listening to it right now from the Pace website, go ahead and subscribe. And wherever you subscribe, if you love what you're listening to, please leave us a five-star review and then do something else. Share it with those who you believe would benefit from this content. I know you know somebody who you're thinking right now, ah, I've got to share this with so-and-so. Make sure you comment them within LinkedIn, share it to them with an email, but make sure that you're sharing this because that's what this is all about. It's growing together, growing to be better. I thank you so much for joining me today, Brandon, and I'm looking forward to the next episode where we will tackle putting the human back into human resource marketing. Will you be there? Ryan, I'm looking forward to this. I'm, I've got a lot to say about the humanizing the brand, so I can't wait for it. All right, good. Well, we'll see you there. And everyone, thanks for listening.